even though I'm glad he came back home, it would have been cool to see Marty get another cup. Oh, you mean St. Louis Blues goaltending legend Marty Broder? Yes. <laughs> shut up, actually. <laughs> Fair, but shut up. <laughs> I was walking with the ghost. everybody talking like a teen i'm not adrian and i'm not ashley there you go we did it yeah um so for those of you who stuck around for our i don't know what kind of rundown we did of the first fast and furious movie um we realized you know what we just want to skip to the second one which no one has ever said in fast and furious history part two is better pew 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 halfway through talking about the first one realized you know this is a hot take, but the second one, I think, is a lot more fun to talk about, even though less happens. Hell yeah. So, was this the first time you've seen this movie, or have you seen this, like, prior to this? I've seen it less, but the scene with the rat is one of those things that, like, you see it as a 13-year-old girl, and it fucking sticks with you. So, I had, like, multiple nightmares with that in it. Oh, my God. Fucking unsettling. <laughs> But other than that, I didn't super duper remember what happened in this movie. I remember that Ludacris was in it and he was great. I remember that Tyrese was in it and that he was great. And I remember that they jumped a car onto a boat and that was stupid, but badass. And that was (laughs) pretty much all I remembered about this movie. (laughs) This one, I also missed in theaters, but when it came out of DVD, like either later that year or the year after, I remember being at like my cousin's house for a sleepover. And watching this being, and this is, of course, before I was really invested in Fast and Furious. I was aware that this was the second entry. But being like, what is this? Like, what's happening right now? Because things happen, but nothing happens. And like I said, I remember Ludacris, and I remember Act the Fool, because that was the summer where you cannot turn on either MTV or BT or even your radio without hearing that song. Like, I almost forget just how big a single that was. Act the Fool. <laughs> oh wait a minute i just realized it was also nominated for a grammy for best song written by motion picture that's the thing that i forgot is i remembered that i heard the song a bunch and i really liked it but i forgot it was for this movie despite the fact that he says like too fast too furious in like 17 times i guess i just blocked that part out but yeah this movie is weird because i know we mentioned in the last one if for any reason you didn't hear the last one ja rule was meant to reprise his role it was it was the same character, right? It Yeah, it was the same character, but he's supposed to basically be Tej. But they rewrote the part for Luda once Ja Rule was like, nah, I need more money. This is 2003. Murder, Inc. was slowly coming to its gradual conclusion. We forgot to mention the best fun fact that I found earlier when we were looking up. That fucking Vanessa Carlton was on Murder, Inc. at one point. What? Yeah, I sent that to you. I honestly forgot. <laughs> yeah, from 2006 to 2007, Vanessa Carlton, the cute piano playing white lady, was signed to Murder Inc. Records. Please tell me there's a version of like Thousand Miles, whatever it is, that Ja Rule yells over. 
<laughs> Murder! Making my way downtown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah! <laughs> oh, uh, shit. <laughs> somebody make me that mashup immediately. And a lot of, I think, what makes this movie more so... Okay, I think we said this when we were texting each other. So... I'm going to try to paraphrase it because I don't have the text in front of me, but earlier today, like in the morning, we were talking about the soundtrack for the first movie is not a great listen. Like it, like you said, you said it perfectly. It is a murder ink mixtape. And unless you're into that very specific thing, it's not great to listen to. No, it hurt me. Now, this movie does something really cool because I've noticed a lot of the artists on the soundtrack for Too Fast, Too Furious, it's a lot of like Southern and Midwestern hip hop artists. Mm -hmm. That was the cool thing that I noticed is that they used a lot of Miami based artists where like now in this day and age, like I would rather have a root canal than listen to a Pitbull song, but putting Pitbull on this soundtrack in 2003 was really cool in that like they were showcasing an artist from the setting of their movie. Like it just, it made sense and had good synergy. But Pitbull in 2003 was a completely different thing. Yeah, it wasn't don't stop the party, Pitbull. He hadn't been Mr. Worldwide. He was Mr. Regional. (laughs) (laughs) I wish he'd stayed there. Yeah, because, I mean, I didn't actually hate Pitbull. And especially when you get to the soundtrack of the fourth one in the advent of, like, reggaeton, or at least, like, you know, Latin music was starting to really become a thing. Mm -hmm. Like, that's heavily prevalent in, like, the fourth and, like, fifth movies. And Pitbull has a bigger presence there. I mean, he actually still has a presence on the movies, but listening to his song from Too Fast, then his song on, like, the eighth movie, uh huh, you wouldn't even think it's the same guy. Interesting. But yeah, like, I mean, you got Joe Budden's Pump It Up, which was another huge hit at the time. You got Chingy. My dude, Chingy. Which, uh, that's right, he's from St. Louis. Go Blues! Daily Cup Cabs! Yeah. Woo! Woo! Um, so we are recording this the day after the Blues have won the Stanley Cup. I definitely thought last night after the Blues won, I'm like, fuck, I made that super hilarious to me joke in my bio on the website and I'm going to have to fucking change it, (laughs) but I'm not going to, I'm going to leave it. I feel fully vindicated because I no longer regret the choice of making you wear your team's jersey on the logo because now you're Stanley Cup champs. That's right. Fuck it. We, we called it. <laughs> we made it happen. We did that shit. For both recording of the Fast and Furious and Too Fast, I'm wearing the blue shirt you got me. And honestly, you partied way harder than I did. Shout out to the blues. And I eventually stopped crying over Layla, like, holding the cup. Like, I just, I can't. Oh, uh, uh, my emotions. So I don't think I told you because I was very busy being in the moment. I met up with a friend and his wife who are in town. We picked a random sports bar that was sort of near their hotel. So I get there, I park, I walk up to the hotel and you have to like go in through a hallway and like cut around a corner before you get into the bar. So I'm walking down the hallway and I cut around the little corner and I walk into the bar and immediately am assaulted with like 25 blues fans who see me immediately start screaming, let's go blues. Someone compliments my t-shirt. Like I got a high five and I'm just kind of like, what is happening? Did I walk through some sort of like weird Donnie Darko wormhole? Like, where am I? Am I home? What's happening? 
so I'm looking for my friends. I didn't see them. And I'm like, okay, well, there's this like weird wall partition thing. They must be back there. So I walk around and I go back there and there's like 50 blues fans just like sitting back there. They like lined up all the tables in front of this like group of TVs and my friends are there and I'm just like, what? (laughs) So somehow out of all of the bars in the Tampa, Florida area, we just happened to pick one that was filled to the brim with blues fans. And we got to sit there and watch the game with them. And they got fucking rowdy. And it was great. It made the whole experience so much more fun than if, like, he and I and his wife had just, like, sat there quietly and watched the game and cheered to ourselves. It was great. It's such a well-earned win. But, you know, shout out to Boston, too. It was a really good series. It was a great series. When they lost... I did see, and it might just be how my timelines put out, but I did see like a lot of people, even just in their trending topics of like Bruins fans shouting at the Blues being like, hey, congratulations, this is a big win for you. And I know that's not necessarily everybody, but it was super classy. And I thought that was really cool because that never really happens, especially not a New England team. Exactly. With Boston fans, especially, there is that stigma of being very boston It was nice to see that, like, scrolling through all of the, the posts and things, especially from, like, local media and stuff, being able to see, like, Boston fans being like, you know, congratulations, and, like, you always want your team to be successful, and you hope that every year is your year. But, like, for Boston, like, they fucking won the Super Bowl four months ago, and their hockey team, they won back in 2011. So, Not saying that this win wouldn't have been special for them, but I feel confident in saying like it wouldn't have meant as much to that city as it does to St. Louis. So I'm fucking pumped. I spent almost all day watching videos of the Blues players coming home and getting drunk at fucking B.D. Clark's (laughs) and preparing for the parade and wishing I could somehow magically get there. I don't know. Like, I've been trying to, like, make, like, sit down and, like, write my social media post about it and sort of just, like, put my feelings on paper about it. And I haven't quite been able to do it yet because it doesn't feel real. Right. But I just keep thinking about there are blues fans that are, like, older than my mom that are alive that had never seen this. There are blues fans that had lived whole lifetimes that never got to see this. And I am so fucking thankful that I did. And that I get to see it and live it. And am I bummed that I'm not there? Oh, hell yeah. But it's okay. Because hopefully this is the first of many. That's how you know when you have a team or at least a fan base. Because it's easy to root for your team when it's a playoff run or they're top of the league. Whatever the case may be. But considering that both the Devils and the Blues haven't always had it great lately. No. No. They have not had a great, but yet, I know, like, at least with Blues fans, you know, there's no fair weather shit with that. No, because if you were going to fucking fair weather a hockey team, uh, St. Louis ain't it. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In November, I bought a t-shirt that says, my hockey team sucks on it. (laughs) And here I am, you know, seven, eight months later, buying Stanley Cup championship shit. No, the Blues are not... They're just, it's not a desirable market. It's like a weird little market that nobody really cares about, except for this small group of people that love that team so much. I'm super happy to include myself with them. And it's time to fucking party. <laughs>
(laughs) (laughs) Even though I'm glad he came back home, it would have been cool to see Marty get another cup. Oh, you mean St. Louis Blues goaltending legend Marty Broder? Yes. (laughs) Shut up, actually. (laughs) Fair, but shut up. (laughs) Don't worry about it. You guys will get a cup, and Marty will be there. I know, he'll he'll be our Brett Hull who's just screaming. Um, has anybody checked in on Brett Hull? Has he died of alcohol poisoning yet? Please make sure he's okay. Whoever's near him, if anybody who happens to be listening to this <sighs> is a you know affiliated with him in some way, make sure you check in on it. Because I'm sure my dude partied way too hard. And oh. that's fine. I get it. That man hasn't been sober in weeks. Don't even worry about it. Sorry if I sound messy, but I really didn't see it coming. Because there were so many other teams who were shoe-ins, full stop, guaranteed to be holding Lord Stanley's Cup. Yeah, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning were supposed to do that. (laughs) And they, of course, announced the odds for next year. And, of course, Tampa's got top odds. And so everyone here is losing their fucking minds again. (laughs) Every bracket got, like, Thanos this year. Mine did. And God help you if you're a bookie, someone's legs got broken in the last couple of months. (laughs) Someone's fingers got smashed with a hammer, and you know it happened. I had Tampa and Boston. I had the Blues losing in the Western Conference Finals. Basically, like, the first week of the playoffs destroyed my bracket so much that I never even went back and looked at it again. (laughs) (laughs) It was really bad. This set of playoffs was really weird. I am super interested to see what happens in the offseason, things like regarding the rules, and to see where a few guys end up. I'll be interested to see what the Tampa Bay Lightning do as far as their roster is concerned, because they have too many players and not enough money, and yet are somehow supposed to sign Eric Carlson. Um, I'll be interested to see what the Blues do, because there are a few dudes that were signed to one-year deals, like Pat Maroon, who... I think they should bring back, but I'm not really sure how you pay for all of it. And I don't know. I like the NHL offseason because I love this shit. I love being able to sit around and overanalyze dumb, tiny things that GMs do. So I'm getting ready to geek the fuck out over that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Good times. Too fast, too furious, too fast for y'all. All right, so at this point, Brian O'Connor is in Miami. The cop on the run, well, a disgraced cop on the run. He's a street racing dude now, living in Miami. He got as far away from L.A. as he possibly could. Which, I don't know if you've ever seen it, because I don't know in the digital versions they have any special features. I never checked, though. But there's actually, like, a short film, and it's not very well done. Like, it looks like it was done pretty much on the fly. But it's a really short movie showing, like, him leaving L.A. and then ending up in Miami. I read a synopsis of it, but I didn't see it. And I know it didn't do well, because as much as Paul Walker was meant to be the lead, Vin Diesel, his absence is definitely felt in this movie. Yes. And this is definitely one of those between this one and Tokyo Drift were like the bastard children of the franchise. <laughs> Vin Diesel at this point, as they're going along, and you said in the last episode, like Vin Diesel said, like basically the script was bad. He intentionally didn't sign on for it. And the studio being like, well, we don't need Vin Diesel because we got Paul Walker and we're, we're bringing in Tyrese. And Tyrese at this point is burning up the charts. Ludacris is big. 
So we don't really need Vin Diesel. Meanwhile, they're looking over, and he's becoming a household name. And I'm sure Universal's like, well, shit. We let the wrong guy go. It is cool that now this movie is almost, like, validated by newer movies. Because a lot of the characters that we thought were sort of throwaway are now, like, fixtures in this franchise. And I can't speak to that because I haven't seen any of the other ones. (laughs) But this movie was so fun. I don't understand why it is poo-pooed so much. The first Fast and Furious movie, I know we have spent so much time talking about the fact that it's a cult hit. But a lot of, I thought, what made Fast and Furious such a cult thing was the car culture. And especially since that first movie sort of reintroduced street racing to like this generation of Mountain Dew enthusiasts. <laughs> this movie, pretty much as a sequel, gives you the things that you figured you'd want in another Fast and Furious. You want more cars, you know, an attractive setting, like basically a bigger, better version. Because this movie's like... We're not going to worry so much about the exposition. We're just going to give you visuals. You don't need that pesky plot. These people are hot and cars go vroom. The more I watch this one, the more it's just fun because it just gives you fun shit. John Singleton, we talked a little bit about it in the last episode, but he directs the hell out of this movie. Absolutely. The action sequences are really fun. This sounds like I'm shitting on it. I'm not shitting on it. It's like going from the first Thor movie to Thor Ragnarok in the way that the movie is like colored. It goes from that sort of like dark and dreary stuff from the first movie, which isn't really that dark and dreary, but this movie is so brightly colored. It almost feels cartoony, but it, it works because these characters feel sort of larger than life, almost to the point of being borderline cartoony. Yeah, like I think that's a really interesting distinction because it's so much brighter. And I guess it's befitting of the area because Los Angeles in movies is rarely seen as like this exotic place. It tends to kind of lean more towards like it's a beautiful place, but the beauty is not so explicitly presented. Right. To be fair, I think sometimes it does lean in on some of the things that made the first movie not great. Uh-huh. Let's be real. The first two movies and maybe even the first three some parts really don't age well, especially when you get to, like, that first car race. Yeah. We have a lot of racial stereotypes that are not good. But Ludacris ascends them because I feel like if you were to give that role to Ja Rule, it would have come off really bad. But Ludacris is so charismatic because Ludacris himself can be very... Like, if you watch any of his music videos or listen to his music, even at this time, it's like, okay... Is it the most progressive stuff? Maybe not, but the afro, that pick, like, it's such an iconic scene of him just coming out of the garage. That's him. Like, that's Luda. But then you got, what's the guy? What is it, like, Orange Julius? Yeah. Orange Julius is the Spanish guy. And then Slapjack is the black guy. It's just, like, we've got a Spanish character who's introduced by grabbing two women's asses You've got a black character being introduced by having his, like, loud, nagging girlfriend telling him that he can't lose because they have to pay rent. Um, Yeah. It's not great. It's not a great um, start to a a movie we considered pretty fun. Yeah. Um, We have an over-sexualized Asian woman who may or may not be bisexual. They kind of go back and forth on what her sexual preference actually is. A lot of Asian schoolgirl outfits. It's... It's kind of yikes city for the first, like, ten minutes of it. Until they all get in the cars and the race actually starts. 
Though I find something really funny and what makes this movie fun to me, the progression of Brian. Now, in the first movie, he's like the scrappy guy who, when he pulls up, you know, people are talking to him like, you know, they're being relatively respectful, but they're like, who is this fucking guy? He came out of nowhere. And they're kind of being like low-key shitty to him. Yeah. Where here, it's like he's now a part of the scene because obviously he and Tej have worked out this scenario where he's essentially a ringer. (laughs) Where (laughs) they know he's good and it's like he's clearly cool with the other drivers. Because, you know, Suki seems to actually really like him. Yeah, she she gives him a nickname. She calls him Bullet. Yeah, like he's got a nickname now and he shows up and everybody's like, oh shit, it's Brian. Yeah. Because, like, in the first movie, like, the only nickname he gets is somebody calls him Snowman. But it's definitely not meant as a playful nickname. It is a comment on how fucking white and awkward Brian is. You can't call him Snowman. Not when Jeezy exists. Nah. (laughs) (laughs) There's only one Snowman, and you are far from that. (laughs) But it's cool, because it's like, now he's, like, the big man on campus, so to speak. And yes, it's underhanded because they know for a fact that this guy can win. That they're about to lose their money. So, obviously, when, um, was it Joaquin was the name of the fourth guy who never showed up? Because he was, like, Uh working or something like that. So, then he's like, oh, so I can get anybody I want? Like, doesn't matter who? And they're like, yeah, whatever. So, of course, they show like, shit, we probably shouldn't agree to that. (laughs) But then you get to Tej, who is, like, low-key menacing himself. Because at first, you know, he's like, all right, I'm the money guy and the organizer. But there's this kind of this thing of if you don't pay me or if you don't find a fourth guy, like, you know, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. And they ask him, like, we don't have a fourth. Why don't you be our fourth? And the way that he shuts them down is playful in that it's Luda. But it's also, like, very abrupt where he's like, no. And the tone of it is almost like, how dare you fucking ask me to do that? Absolutely not. Yeah, like, he's so much fun, but yet he's so about his business. Like, if you thought that Don and his crew, when they did their races, was a big deal. But to him, it's like, oh, this is about the sport. Like, I love racing. Where to Ludo, it's like, I'm, you know, he digs cars, he does racing. But at the end of the day, it's like, look, how do you say, like, I'm just about stacking and collecting? And I think that's the point where he explains, like, that he almost died. He hit a wall or something like that going over 100 miles an hour. And so now he just facilitates. And then at one point during like the one race where they had to get the new muscle cars where he's just flat out like, you know, lose or hand over the keys. Otherwise, you're going to be eating through a straw. And I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. He says it to, you know, nondescript dickbag. But then, you know, he goes over to Tyrese. He's like, that's you too. And that's yeah. just kind of like, you know what? Respect. You know, obviously he's low-key cool with him at this point because it's like, all right, you're a friend of Brian, so I'm not going to necessarily give you as much shit as this other guy. But essentially it's like, look, you better win because I really wouldn't have to whip your ass. Luda, my dude contains multitudes. (laughs) Like there's so much unnecessary nuance to his character in this movie. I wonder how much of that is there from the script and how much of that was Luda bringing that forth in the fact that like he's a really good actor and i feel like that's just Luda in a nutshell where it's like look my music is fun it's rowdy we can have a good time but when it comes down to business i'm here to do business and i feel like when they made that call too ludicrous that's probably why he and singleton had so much respect same with tyrese because they've worked together again singleton seems like that guy you know very shrewd it's like look I love making movies, 
But at the end of the day, this is a, like a business, and I want to conduct business accordingly. So right. I'm not necessarily going to threaten to beat the shit out of you, but... You better come correct. Did we get to Suki yet? I appreciate the fact that they give another woman some semblance of agency in these movies. I also realize that as far as like a woman enjoying female characters in a movie like this, I have to sort of take what I can get. But Suki rules. I'm here for it. She's got other ladies that help her sort of take care of her car, which is cool. They show her drawing a few different scenes. She has other skills. I wish she was in this more, and I wish she had more to do. I agree. I feel like even Jimmy gets more to do. Yeah. When they are planning the big, like, switcheroo car thing in the warehouse, um, like, she's around when they're planning that, but she's not really doing anything. She's just kind of standing around. And she's in that scene, but she's just one of you know, 60 or 70 cars driving around in that scene. I don't know. She seems smart and capable. I wish that they had given her more to do. There's too many dudes. So the plot is pretty straightforward. Customs is trying to get this guy who's moving contraband. They're trying to get him and the money together so they can actually go in to bust him. They have a agent who's undercover who they're not sure if she's flipped. So they were going to arrest Ryan, but... Well, Customs obviously didn't want him in. There's another case that the locals are kind of screwing up, so Casey Masterpiece is back. <laughs> Bilkins! Bilkins! <laughs> Which is weird, like, Bilkins does, like, almost like a complete 180, because Bilkins in the first movie is very much like, y'all need to hurry up and get this stuff together, or we're shutting you down. He learned a lesson from the first movie. Being a hard-ass and, and demanding results immediately... Um, doesn't always work because, like, obviously, like Brian flipped and left his job. Uh huh. Bilkins know. had a character arc. Look at that, my dude, Bilkins. <laughs> but it's interesting to me, though, and I guess it makes sense because it's like, oh shit, another case involving racers. Who do I know? And it's like, damn it, like <laughs> it would have been so much easier to throw this guy in jail, but we can use him. But here's my thing, and you mentioned this last time, about the fact that now Brian is, like, car guy. Yes. You know, and he's like, oh, you got to be rolling with Agent Dunn, and Dunn's very 2003 just standing there. Like, he had just finished, like, listening to, like, The Offspring. <laughs> he does. He totally looks like an Offspring, dude. Where he's like, I'm fucking cool, because I listen to, like, all metal shit. And you're like, dude, that's Offspring. Get over yourself. Right? My mom but it's like Americana offspring. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, not, like, why don't you get a job offspring? It's not even like. <laughs> he asked for a 13 and they drew a 31. That's my dude. <laughs> was it a Gallo 21? Or was it... <laughs> I didn't know pizza places made motors. It's like, I can't work with this guy. Look at him. He sucks. No, my favorite, though, is, again, I love... And I've been noticing this more, especially after like watching all these like a lot of Marvel movies, uh-huh. is the background stuff that happens. He's so hurt by that. Like as the camera pans away, he looks down at the cup and he realizes what uh-huh. happened. And then the, the customs guy, like he just snatches the cup from like you dummy. Yeah. <laughs> like, why did you let your dude get played like that? You could have been like from the beginning, hey, don't bullshit him. Like, you know, you you set him up. I to be fair, like if you asked me that question, I would probably have done the same thing that that dude did. 
guessed and hoped for the best, because I don't fucking know. But I think the part to me that I kind of call a little BS is, he's really in no position to be making any sort of moves here. No. They brought him in because, being a racer, he's probably the best guy to, again, infiltrate another crime ring. But then when he's like, the only way I'm doing this is if I get to pick the guy. And then he's like, oh, guy I like hung with. So once they found out that this guy he hasn't spoken to in over three years because they were cool, he became a cop, which, you know, point of contention with Roman. Were you really willing to risk this entire case on a guy who may just walk at any moment? Well, and you're telling me, okay, so they're in Miami and Roman is set up in Barstow, California. They're telling me they schlepped out to California from Miami to pick this dude up. Hell no. Why not then just pull it? Like, see, I thought would have been, and I know they needed that scene to have the confrontation to be like, okay, now we have to establish the fact that even though these guys are friends from way back in the day, they're not in a good place with each other. But why not have it be a case of, like, they could have pulled some dumb shit like cops often do and be like, oh, you parked at the Derby, but, you know, you're still too far away. We're bringing you in. Right. And then, you know, next thing you know, it's like, he's in Miami. He's like, what the hell am I doing here? I thought I was just getting sent downtown. <laughs> and then have the scene where he fights him. He's like, damn, not only did you, like, let me get sent to jail, now you're dragging me halfway across, no, the, the entire way across the country. Yeah. To drive for some, like, fucking crime boss? Like, fuck you. He didn't need to be in California. He could have been in Florida or wherever. Or you didn't need to specify that he was in California. They could have just gone to a place and played the scene as it was and been done with it. It just, it seemed very weird to me. Or have a thing where he mentions, oh, I got this buddy Ron Pierce. Like, where is he at? It's like, well... You know, he's been in jail, but ever since he left, I don't know where he is. He could have ran into him in, like, Miami or some shit. Yeah. It was one of those things that I sort of buffed on when I watched it again. But I do love Roman as a character because this is something I feel like in the Fast and Furious movies we didn't, at least in the first one, you didn't get as much. Because there's all these people here who are, like, big into, like, cars and high stakes and danger and all just this wild shit. But Roman's the only one, maybe other than Tej who seems like he's actually really into this. The thing I really enjoy about Roman's character that you don't really get a lot of in a lot of the other characters is this sense of vulnerability. There's the scene where he like is eating a hot dog or something, and Brian makes a comment like, why do you eat so much? <laughs> and he's like, because the food in prison is fucking trash. And, like, there's a chance that I may end up back there. So I'm going to enjoy every second that I have not in prison. It's just, a, it's just a little, like, dumb scene that in this movie kind of feels like it's supposed to just take up time. But it does sort of build that character and show that, like, he does have his own sort of fears and all of this other stuff. And that he's, like, a three-dimensional person who doesn't want to go to jail. He's afraid that this deal that sounds too good to be true might be. He just goes all out. And also, he doesn't necessarily think before he does things. You know, when the customs agents do roll up, like, he immediately just pops out his gun and starts firing back. And I know he's obviously wasn't going to kill the guy, and they, I think they said as much. But it was, he was going to let him know, like, look. Don't come at me. Or even when he steals the dude's food when they get back to the station, he's like, that's mine. It's like, so? I'm like, I'm stealing your food, asshole. <laughs> it's such a hilarious scene because he's just walking around. He's walking around and he's pacing back and forth and just sees food and just snatches it. <laughs> 
I love only in the movies is a dude that's built like Tyrese fucking stress eating and we're supposed to believe it. You don't fucking stress eat and look like Tyrese. That is not how this works. (laughs) (laughs) Something that does get revisited again is you almost feel like you watch the progression of their chemistry and not from an acting perspective, but also as people. Mm -hmm. Because their first few interactions in a movie are very awkward, very stilted. Like that first interaction with them is very like, acting i know yeah. that's not a real word but it's very like acting yeah it's like two college kids on a stage like doing a scene then when they go back to the garage after the whole rat incident it felt less like they were acting it's just like a silly little piece of like world building that allows you to sort of believe that these two characters have a past and that these two actors have you know sort of maintained some sort of chemistry and they do it does take some time I don't know if that's intentional or not, but it seems to work. Tyrese, I think what is great about his character is Brian may have everybody else fooled because this is twice he's supposedly undercover. But Tyrese, like, is constantly blowing up his spot. Like, dude, you're from, like, shithole California. Tyrese is basically there to, like, fucking keep him humble, which is is appreciated. Because he's like, oh, you're stealing shit and running your mouth. And he's like, oh, and you're packing. And he's like, and you ain't? like. <laughs> and clearly, Brian never responds. He's like, fuck it, got me. <laughs> Tyrese in these movies, he becomes genuinely one of the best things about the series only because some of his dialogue is just kind of just out there. Uh-huh. But it does feel the most real to me because in this series where shit gets like really wild very quickly... He's the only person, even more so than Tej, who's just like, what the hell? At least we have one person who is reacting appropriately. When they drive the car onto the boat, he's like, you know, you with me, bro? He's like, yeah, like, you know, show him some dudes after shit. Yeah, let's do this. Until he realizes what's about to happen. Then he's like, you're crazy. What the fuck? Like, you know. <laughs> the driving the boat on the car is so stupid. I love it so much. <laughs> It's so bad. It's it's just so silly. But I think it's a nice foreshadowing for a series of movies that at one point in the fucking trailer, they have a guy driving a submarine in a car. Like, <laughs> obviously, this series goes some places. <laughs> so I'm excited for one to see where those places are. I'm ready for some submarine shit. But I think this is where the series starts to kind of... Jump the shark? Well, not yet. I'm sure that'll happen soon. I'm sure an actual shark will be jumped. (laughs) I want Tyrese to ride a shark and jump it over something. Into a car. Yes. Into a speeding car. Yeah. Like, they're, like, on a dock or something, and the the shark comes into the shore, and just for some reason, he hops up off the shark into a car, like, kicks the dude out and drives it. I don't know. (laughs) And then Ludacris makes a shark pun. This is what I want. It is stupid, but it is what I want. And it's weird to me that nothing really happens in this movie because they actually do spend a good time building Brian's character. Which you need after the first movie because so much of what we believe to be Brian's character is unwritten by the I'm an undercover cop thing. And at the end, you're just sort of not really sure what to do with it. Like, you understand that he's learned something from hanging out with Dominic and company, but you don't really know what, aside from, like, 
family question mark duty and responsibility question mark this movie is an opportunity for him to sort of put the lessons that he hypothetically learns in the first movie to good use and to sort of build his own little world and his own little family i think they do a good job of making him be less boring and wooden in this movie he's still not great but he's better And I think that's why it is a good place to watch the fourth movie after the second one. I don't want to say too much, though, but what you said, I think, hits the nail on the head. And just watching that progression of Brian figuring out who he is. This is twice where he's supposedly going in, again, as the undercover guy. Well, okay, one, he's a cop. This other one, he's like, I guess, deputized or whatever to bring down his ring. But then realizing... Everybody here is morally ambiguous or just flat out morally corrupt. Mm -hmm. Everybody here is an outlaw in some regard. Like, clearly the customs agent was breaking protocol because dumbass didn't realize, okay, you're hiring people to go in to basically be drivers for a guy. So, yeah, when you see people driving, your first instinct is to accuse them of running away. You get this FBI agent who is so dead set on, wait, would Bill Guns even be on a Miami case? Probably not, no. I'm sure there's got to be some rules against everything that's happening here. I don't see a world in which somebody who flipped on him and probably embarrassed him professionally as big as Paul Walker did in the first movie. I just can't see you trusting that guy again with the same shit. Even with dangling the carrot of, well, we'll we'll expunge your records and, and all of your shit will be clean and all of that stuff. Like... It's too convenient. Like, do you think maybe he was setting him up? Like, look, we were looking for you for a while. We found you. So guess what? We're going to put you in this bullshit case that we could easily solve without you. But the odds of you actually succeeding are very slim to none. So we're going to basically make you do this case. And if you fail, much like he did the last time, guess what? We get to bust you. So I wonder if maybe that was the thing. Like, he was like, look, this was my way of getting you, but... I can maybe use you to get a bigger fish, but at the end of the day, if you flipped on us before, you'll probably do it again. Because, in matter of fact, they were going to do that. Once they realized that the customs guy was going to basically be okay with them dying, they were like, look, let's just rob these dudes. And I mean, they do that. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Let's be real here. Like, the movie ends with our heroes? Question mark? Um, with a bunch of money shoved in his pants. So, like, they steal from these guys. But I guess as an as a viewing member of the audience, you're supposed to feel like it was justified. Part of Brian's character is there may have been a very good reason as to why these two weren't, you know, of course, what Brian became a cop, but him feeling, I guess, like he could, you know, didn't want to be in his life. But yet Roman's always getting him with this stupid shit because... Roman is, I think, the first to kind of introduce the idea of, you know, I can think of two reasons why these guys really don't need this money. And then I think Brian's like, all right, here we go. So he already kind of knows what he's thinking. And it doesn't take much convincing for him to be a part of it. Um, So we know that Roman steals some money. Does Brian steal any money? Yeah, because that's why he says the line, you know, pockets ain't empty because, you know, because it was a callback to the line that... um, I, I just, I couldn't tell if that line was hey, I stole shit, or hey, I know you stole shit. I don't know. Like, I I took that very literally as him just being like, yeah, I did the same shit. 
because you don't see Brian with money. You only see Roman with money. I just wasn't a hundred percent sure how to, to interpret that line. Thought I'd ask. <laughs> no worries. But I will say something this movie also does and something that the first three Fast and Furious movies, at least for Lee Wise, do is make the cars characters. Because there's a lot of extended driving scenes that, while they don't seem very impressive from a movie standpoint, like as far as, like it almost reminded me a little bit of like, I'm not going to say it's like as iconic of a car chase as like, let's say Bullet was in like in the 70s, but it did kind of remind me of those early like 70s, early 80s action movies where you had these extended driving sequences that were less about let's drive off of a building or crash into things, but just basically be like a tight shot. Almost as if they were kind of going for like the French connection by way of Mountain Dew. <laughs> He finds a way to make the car stuff more interesting. You get a lot of different shots within the car from different angles and stuff, which sort of keeps it interesting and um, does this thing, which annoys me, but I understand it where the characters are talking to each other from different cars. <laughs> we're like the race sequence at the beginning where like the Spanish guy is yelling at Suki and Suki's yelling back at him. And like, there's no way that they would be able to hear each other because they're in different cars. And these engines are loud as shit. <laughs> and the engines are loud as shit. And there's like noise from like, just, you know, ambient existing noise out in nature and shit it's so stupid but it's there because otherwise you've got you know a six minute action sequence with no dialogue that would feel weird in a movie but what's clever about it is at least with as far as suki and Arnold julius or um or everybody really at least in that first major race everybody yells something or says something to one of the other races at one point but it's cut like as if they're replying, but they're not actual replies. They're not replies. Like it's kind of like if we were in like, I don't know, playing Mario Kart together, like you're just yelling shit out, like, but you're not really saying it in direct response. Yeah, where he yells something about something and she's yelling like smack that ass. Like that has nothing to do with anything. Um, they've cut it so that it seems like conversational-ish. But it's like conversation adjacent. It's just two people talking that are coincidentally talking about similar things. What makes this movie fun to me is watching Paul Walker and Tyrese because there's, of course, two sets of henchmen that they're that they're going yes. up against. And it's so much fun because this is something that doesn't happen enough in movies where you never get enough. Like you don't often get a movie where you're quote unquote where your protagonists are like have such a like back and forth with like the lackeys. And they almost build a rapport with these guys. Yeah. To the point where they and there's the two sets. They're the two dudes that own the muscle cars that they end up getting. And then the dudes that are like Carter's lackeys. At the end of the movie, when they like do the ejector seat shit and blow those two guys out of the cars. Like you almost feel bad for them. Yeah. Cause at first they're all like, there's like a little character arc because at first they're just told to follow them. Tyree shows up and like sets the car on fire, at least the windshield. <laughs> so they're pissed at him. 
But then later on, you know, when they get on the boat, there's like the standoff and everybody's trying to shoot everybody. So then it's like, oh, now they're going to be working together. So and Carter does it to be like, you know, oh, just in case you guys want to try to think foolish, my dude's over here to take you out. And then the dude, like the one guy, like he actually just compliments Paul Walker and he's like, you're a good driver, man. It's like, ah, yeah, your your heart breaks a little bit in that point where because you can see it in Paul Walker's face where he's like, you know, real recognizes real. And it was like a, a respect moment. And but yet he's got to fuck this dude over in order to not get killed. Right. And then at, when he pulls the gun on him later on, he's like, I like you, but it's my job. Like, and uh-huh. he generally doesn't want to kill him. Anybody else, I'm pretty sure once he got the order, it would have been like, all right, let's go over here, pop, you're done. Yeah. But and I was like, no, he stalled. And it's just, oh, like they bonded. <laughs> They're friends. And even Tyrese and the other guy, and he's laughing at us. Like, oh, you're supposed to be a stone cold killer. You're over here grabbing a seat. <laughs> 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 uh, and I feel like when he yelled at him, when he ejected him, I think he was, it was betrayal. Like, we, we went someplace together. Like... <laughs> Why would you do that to me? I thought we were bros. <laughs> uh, but then I, I I will say, though, the other two guys, like the one he calls like Fonzie or whatever. Uh-huh. So funny. Only because in that moment, I realized that, like, I see so much me and my cousin at a particular point, especially around this time where we were at our most stupid. And I think okay. that's why I love this movie so much, because I see so much of, like, my my cousin and Tyrese and how much of me and like Brian where it's like the guy who's trying to act like he's not into this but is equally okay with doing a bunch of dumb shit because <laughs> then the lackeys it's like okay they're clearly a thing too like they already have their kind of dynamic but one of the best bits of ADR in this movie and it never gets old is when they win the race um like the the down and back race with the guys in uh-huh. muscle cars where it's just them in the middle of the road looking despondent and all he just hears Roman yell use them bus tokens partner yes <laughs> it's so fucking hilarious <laughs> cause honestly I feel like that was not intended in the script cause that seems like something Tyrese would actually just yell from a distance <laughs> but it was so good that, like we gotta keep that in you said something that made me think of this and it's interesting I don't really have a point I'm just pointing it out it's interesting to me that Brian is supposed to be like the leader, like the guy in charge, the responsible guy. And yet he is so fucking passive. He lets Tyrese walk all over him and basically do whatever the fuck he wants. It makes for an interesting dynamic because like passivity is not necessarily something that you see a lot in a like a protagonist hero character. It's just interesting. But I wonder how much of that was the character of just Brian. You know, he does feel guilty for not being there for him when he got busted. Because, again, that was his dude. And, you know, they went through all this dumb shit together. But it's in a weird way, like, he's letting him do shit only because, A, he probably knows that there's nothing you could do to really stop him. And, B, part of him just feels guilty. So it's like, look, he's probably going to go to jail anyway. Might as well let him have fun while he's out. (laughs) I mean, I guess. (laughs) That is an interesting point, and that's why, like, the first two movies, there's so much interesting shit, because you're never quite sure of what the intent is behind, like, especially Brian's character. And I know there's supposed to be conflict, which does carry over through later movies about, like, his place. Like, is he the cop? Is he a criminal? 
I don't know how close the movies want me to look at this stuff. I'll say this. When you watch the later movies, and especially if you watch them a lot, you'll notice that, and that's why I'm, there's a lot of like points that I want to make towards certain things that you're bringing up because they're great points because they do go into that. Okay. Now, this is interesting. I'm looking at um, some of the trivia for this movie on IMDb. So apparently Universal Studios had two different scripts commissioned. The first one did feature Vin Diesel's character, and the second one didn't, in case he didn't return. I wonder what that first script was. I don't know what happens in the the fourth movie, when Vin Diesel gets back. Do you think any of that second script carried over? The fourth movie is both a continuation and a soft reboot. Okay. Uh, And supposedly John Singleton often encouraged the actors to improvise, so many of the humans' moments on screen were ad-libbed. So that answers that other question. Yeah, that checks out. This one is a blast. Like, I know there's not really a whole lot going on, but it is a really good character building movie. I am excited to see where it goes from here. Between the two movies, you sort of have established the, like, major themes that you need to sort of watch for within the rest of these movies. Like, the idea of family and identity and that sort of thing. Which seem like really big, sweeping, grand ideas for these dumb movies about car chases in them, but whatever. I don't know. I'm interested to see what happens to these characters. I'm invested. I think that's why Too Fast, Too Furious and Tokyo Drift suffered, because we're led to believe that the cars are what made these movies popular, because, you know, like I said, it spawned racing culture in a big way in the early 2000s. And there's a lot of movies that were trying this very same thing. And even though The Fast and Furious isn't an original concept as far as the storyline, what made it unique was the characters and the uh, chemistry between the actors. And this is something that my friend and I, we had discussed once before with some of the later movies is as they get bigger and there's bigger names in them. But what ends up being like the core group eventually, they really are family. Like, and to this day, like, they still spend time with each other, like, offset. This dynamic of family is, like, a very real thing, especially with Diesel. Because he's sort of made this family, which is really cool. And there's a lot of cool shit that happens, at least to me. Like, I don't know. Everybody else may hate these. <laughs> well, too bad. We're talking about them anyway. Right. So, yes. Yeah, so, prepare for at least... And this is going to get hard because, I mean, there's, what, fucking six more of these movies? Yes. <laughs> But fuck it. We may break them up. We may release them all at once. I don't know. But I had a blast. For sure. And I'm excited to watch more of these movies and to never listen to another fucking Jaw Rule song ever again. Depending on how you feel about Pitbull with the next one, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get there. Don't stop the party. All right. That's it. Have a good night. <laughs> I was born.